0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. As Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm came up on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves. But he was asleep. They came and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you terrified, O you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and said, What sort of man is this whom even the winds and the sea obey? The Gospel of the Lord. What an interesting set of texts that we have before us in our liturgy today on this day where we Celebrate and give thanks for the foundation of our nation. Not the least of which is in the introductory rites for Mass today where we do pray the Gloria. The official liturgy for Independence Day includes that. That was not my riffing on the the secular holiday. And note how that automatically frames the context of our prayer. That our gathering this day is not simply a matter of praying for our country, but of giving thanks for the fact of our nation. And that is important because it is within this celebratory context that our prayer and our listening to the challenging words of the Scriptures today unfold. And that continues into our collect, the opening prayer of Mass today, where we give thanks to God for what has been accomplished, and we ask the help of the Lord for what remains to be accomplished. And so note that, again, what the Church is teaching us in having us pray this way. This is not simply a day of thanksgiving for a finished product. It is a day where we thank for what we have, but we acknowledge that there is something still unfinished about us as a people and as a nation. And so this is not a day of contented celebration in our prayer, although there is a certain note of grateful content. It is also a day where grace is asked because we recognize something still remains to be done. Something is incomplete, something is unfinished about us as a people, and that should not surprise us that we would be incomplete as a nation because all nations are. And why? Because nations are composed of men and women whose lives are incomplete too. And it's in this light, then, that we engage our scripture texts. And it's a natural reaction as we listen to that difficult first reading of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to say, really, on Independence Day, we couldn't have something better than that to hear? and yet there's an important note to that reading today which is easily overlooked and yet is very important and it is this mercy and judgment mercy and justice are coupled realities with the lord mercy to exist at all must have a framework by which mercy can be extended, and that is the framework of judgment. If there is no punishment, what does it mean to say, I won't punish you? If there is no consequence, what does it mean when one says, and I choose not to invoke that consequence? And there's a marvelous note of mercy hidden in this first reading But to get to it, we also first have to recognize this. God's judgment is not merely a judgment on individuals. It is a judgment on nations. And that is what we see with the cities of the plains. It is not merely a judgment on individual men and women. It is a judgment on a collective way of living of a nation that has decided to turn its back on goodness. And when we look at that, we realize the importance of always remembering what our foundation describes us as being one nation under God. Not one nation under what I think is best. Not one nation under I will do what I feel like doing. And so we have before us the sobering example of what happens when peoples no longer seek to live under the way that leads to life. And the simple answer is there's only one other outcome, and that is destruction, sooner or later. All things not founded on the truth, all things not guided by the will of God eventually come undone. And so we see the undoing of the cities of the plains because their hearts were set on ways that flouted goodness. Note how important that is. Freedom can be exercised destructively. And freedom can be exercised constructively and responsibly. And a destructive exercise of freedom should not surprise us, produces only destruction, the undoing of what has been built. This is why we pray to the Lord for his help to attend to that which needs to be accomplished yet, that unfinished dimension, in part because sometimes our own recklessness can begin unmaking the good that we've been given. But in the middle of all of this is Lot and his family being guided to freedom. And this is one of those hidden treasures in scripture that is easily missed. Just before this scene happens, there's the remarkable dialogue between Abraham and God, as God shares with Abraham what is about to happen to the cities of the plain and how the wickedness has become so great. The sinfulness has become so persistent and so unyielding that something must be done. And Abraham turns to the Lord and says, but what if there's there's 50 good people there? And the Lord says, then I'll spare them all. And Abraham continues pushing the Lord. It's a remarkable scene where the great patriarch begins probing how great is God's mercy. What if there's only 40? What if there's only 30? What if there's only 20? And notice how the number, the quantity of goodness gets smaller and smaller and smaller. In other words, Abraham is saying, how deep does your mercy go? If there's only 20, if there's only 20 decent people in the middle of all of that wickedness, And the Lord says, and I will spare them all for the sake of the 20. And Abraham then says, let me just ask you one last question. What if there's only 10? And the Lord says, and I'll spare them. And the amazing thing then is that we hear that Abraham was afraid to ask any more questions. Not because he was afraid God would yell at him, don't bother me, Abraham. He himself had reached a limit where the mercy of God was deeper than he was ready for. It was unexpected. Every time he asked, there was another possibility of mercy. And even the great patriarch hit his limit. So he never asked, what if there's less than 10? And so what do we see in the story here? hidden in the midst of the judgment against the wickedness of the nation is the saving of those few good ones who were there. A degree of mercy Abraham never asked for, and yet God gave it. Note how marvelous that is. In the midst of all of that, what do we see? Goodness makes a difference. And even as the Lord will judge peoples and nations, the Lord still has an eye for the righteous hearts that struggle for goodness when it is not easy to do so. And recognizing that, there should be a great reassurance that all of us feel. We live in a country of ambiguous moral status at times. And yet note what we're reminded of. It's not simply that immorality. It's not simply that injustice. It's not simply that wickedness leads nowhere. It's that goodness can be preserved. And even a small amount of goodness can be an occasion of great mercy. In fact, an entire village on the plains was spared simply because Lot was a good man who said, I can't make it all the way to the mountains. And so what if I go there? And that entire town was spared for the sake of the good man who was going there. What a marvelous, what a marvelous display of mercy when we see that. The fact that goodness makes a difference and where the good choose to settle and where the good try to live and where those who try to live according to what is right find themselves they always make a difference and they always invite mercy. This then gives us our avenue into this curious scene in the gospel. You know, again, it begins in a puzzling, almost humorous way. We hear Jesus got into a boat and his disciples followed him. And that all sounds good so far. But imagine this, Jesus gets into a boat, his disciples follow him, and Jesus goes to sleep. We normally think that when we're following the Lord, he's going to be walking, he's going to be awake, he's going to be leading us. But Jesus goes into the boat, the disciples follow him, and Jesus takes a nap. And if we're honest about our own spiritual lives, sometimes that is what the movement of discipleship can feel like. I'm trying to find you, follow you, Lord, but it doesn't seem like you're awake. I'm trying to follow you, Lord, but it doesn't seem like you're leading me anywhere. We seem to be in a holding pattern, and I keep speaking, and it's not like you're hearing. And things are happening around me, and I don't think your eyes are open. You know how curious this is? Jesus leads his disciples to where he's going to take a nap. And then we see that the Lord has the oddest possible sense of where a good place to take a nap is. Because he's on a boat in the middle of a great storm. And the waves are shaking the boat. And the boat is rocking and is in danger of being capsized. So much so that these disciples who are fishermen, they know what kind of a storm this is and they know what kind of danger they're in and Jesus is still sleeping. Note how soundly the Lord sleeps. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. The rain is coming, the winds are howling, the boat is being tossed, and the Lord is just taken that nap. And so note the contrast. The fear of the disciples, the rage of the storm, the apparent danger of the boat, and this odd, peaceful indifference of Jesus. At least, seeming indifference. And he's just taken a nap. Untroubled sleep. Unworried rest. And all of a sudden, we're stunned by the strength and the greatness of the peace of Jesus Christ, which all of the storms of the world can't disturb, which all of the danger of the world can't overcome or threaten. And so the Lord feels no threat. The Lord knows that nothing that is happening around him is a danger to him, and therefore it is also not a danger to those who are in this boat with him. He knows they're not in danger, but they don't know it yet. Note the difference. Otherwise, they could take a nap too. And so the Lord curiously invites his people to this place where he can rest even in the middle of a storm. And because this is so different, so unexpected, no one knows how to respond. And so they shake him awake. Imagine that. The boat is being tossed by the waves and he doesn't wake up. The rain is falling on him and he doesn't wake up. The wind is howling in his ears and rushing across his face and he doesn't wake up. And the disciples shake him a little bit and he wakes up. And again, we see something remarkable here. As deep as his peace and his sleep were, it was not so deep he would not hear that cry for help. It was not so deep that it shut him off from those who felt they needed him. And so it is that he wakes up, and then Jesus gives two rebukes. First, he rebukes his disciples, then he rebukes the storm. And We have to catch that. Why are you afraid? O you men of little faith. That's a rebuke. You know, Jesus doesn't say, it's a good thing you woke me up in time. Thank you for letting me know about this danger that I was not aware of. Notice he doesn't say, what wonderful faith you had to call on me right now. It's not that they have no faith, it's that it's small faith, little faith. Little faith is not bad, but one of the marks of little faith is that we still remain so easily overwhelmed by the storms of the world. We are still so easily threatened by that which looks like it will overwhelm us. And our first response is fear, and our turn to the Lord is fear-based. That's not bad. It just doesn't get us very far. And so this prayer to Jesus for help is not a prayer that is said in peace. It's said in desperation. That's, again, that is not bad. It's just not much. And so here, as the Lord speaks to them, he's doing all of this, and now we see why he has led them here where he was going to take a nap. He wants to lead them into this ability to allow our hearts and our spirits and our minds to rest to a certain degree even as the world goes crazy around us. What a great gift that would really be, to sleep like that, to rest like that. Not in indifference, but in a way that is untroubled. And this, too, is a great lesson for us as a nation in this particular moment of our history. Because so many of us across our nation are so upset so easily over so many things, great and honestly, small. We are so easily robbed of our peace And there are so many voices that are merchants of outrage and purveyors of fear and distrust. And note what happens as we hear and these words lift it to us. The call to reckless exercise of freedom. The call to division. The call to anger and outrage and to always feel threatened and therefore to always be defensive and to be always ready to hit back. And note the other example. The Lord leads his disciples to a place where they will feel threatened, where they will feel overwhelmed, and he wants them to learn how to rest and not have their hearts become like the stormy weather outside. What a great prayer for our nation that would be, that as a people, As one nation truly under God, that despite the turmoil of the world around us, which is great, that despite the cultural turmoil that can roil us as a people, that within the heart of the just and the good, there can be a certain peacefulness where the world is always going to be stormy, but my heart doesn't need to be. My mind and my spirit do not need to be because there is something greater here than the winds of this world. And so it is that Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea and immediately they are stilled. And he doesn't rebuke them because they're bothering him. He calms them so that his disciples have a chance to know his peace. So let us also, as we pray for our nation this day, to ask for that great gift upon us as a people, that we see the stilling of some of these storms that threaten us and frighten us and afflict us, so that as a nation, as one nation under God, we might truly catch our breath, regain our peace, And be able to step forward in that renewed strength. What a great gift indeed that would be. And how wonderful it is that we can reflect on this. Overlooking the sea quite literally. Here in this little boat of a shrine. Where that same Jesus Christ is going to be on this altar. Silent. And still. And at rest. Oh, but not asleep however much he might seem to be. It's that same Jesus who will come to us and allow us to receive him into those tiny boats of our hearts. Those tiny boats shaken by so many things. When you receive him today, let him take that nap. Let him sleep there. And as you let him do that, ask him for a share in that ability to rest and to remain calm and still and untroubled in the middle of a world that will always, on this fallen side of eternity, always know its fair share of stormy troubles. Amen.